Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on The Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about Syracuse football recruiting and a great sign for the start of the 2020 football season. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and our guest today is Stephen Bailey from Syracuse.com. Stephen, thank you so much for coming back on the program. Yeah, anytime, Wes. Thanks for having me on. And Stephen, I want to get you started on this one. We're right in the thick of recruiting season right now, but this year is different more than any other recruiting cycle we've had in the past. What's recruiting like in this post-COVID world? It's different for sure, and I think uh, it's still a learning process. Obviously, no in-person interaction between coaches and recruits. I believe the dead period uh, has been extended another month into July. It is, it is very different. You've got college coaches watching tons of film, doing Zoom calls, um, trying to find creative ways to build trust with people who they can't go out and see and, and shake their hand and talk with their parents and ask questions of their coaches and their teachers and, um, you know, do the due diligence that schools have to do when, when they recruit players, you know. So it's different, uh, specifically with Syracuse. You know, I think they took an aggressive approach. Uh, every school was kind of in the same boat at the start of March where you have you, your your guys you've evaluated and you know whether you're ready to offer them or not. And a list of unevaluated guys are guys who need to kind of be evaluated again. And Syracuse kind of made some decisions. They said, hey, you know, we like these guys for certain reasons, be it size or speed or maybe maybe things you can't see or see on game film, um, maybe scheme fit. Obviously they have a new offensive and defensive coordinator. Uh, so, But they, they picked out guys and said, hey, you know, we're not – going to wait we're going to go put out some committable offers in march and i think early april the 2021 prospects and they i believe they've got 10 guys in their class so um you know they they moved aggressively doesn't <laughs> you know we'll see what it all means obviously recruiting you, you kind of need to look back a few years later to begin with but even with this with earlier evaluations um 
it, it, I think it creates an, an increased level of uncertainty. But, you know, that's kind of what it's been like. And, and i got to say, it, it's evolving. You know, teams are finding different things to do, be it virtual tours, uh, be it film breakdowns with the entire staff. The NCAA allowed current players to um, to help recruit. I know Syracuse had um, some of its current tight ends talk to a tight end recruit. Uh, and, and I believe a quarterback target as well. They had Tommy DeVito get on the line with him. So it's it's different. <laughs> I think it's evolving, and, you know, it's, it's not going away. You know, for at least the next month or two, schools are going to need to figure out how to do this virtually. And, uh, frankly, it's going to change recruiting in the long term. I'm sure a lot of these practices will be maintained even when, you know, you can have camps and, and visits and, and all that stuff. Steven, you just touched on Tommy DeVito being on one of these recruiting video chats. Syracuse has really struggled landing a quarterback of their choice in the past few years. Why has that been the case? It's a great question. <laughs> I think if there was an easy answer, Syracuse wouldn't be in this position. Uh, I, I will say this. Uh, I think they are very selective in who they offer. You know, Dino, for the most part, knows what he likes. Um, he has a certain amount of boxes he likes checked and and. and you know, maybe they're a little bit selective at the beginning of the cycle. And when you do that and you put all your eggs in a few baskets and, you know, those kids go to, to other schools, you're, you're kind of left in a position where you need to have secondary targets ready. Uh, every, you know, every cycle is different. Um, you know, two years ago, they weren't going to, the quarterback wasn't a huge priority early on. And then chance, Amy transferred out. They said, oh, we need to get somebody, and you end up with David Summers at the end of the class. You know, last year, um, you know, they had a couple guys who they really, really prioritized, and they didn't get either of them. And you end up taking a couple guys at the end of the cycle. So, we'll, you know, we'll see. They really liked Riley Leonard, a quarterback out of Alabama. You know, he was, he was one of their top targets early in the cycle. They had other guys who they offered, um, pick, pick some West Coast schools. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, they just need to they need to be able to close the deal and, and part of it's trying to convince recruits to come to Syracuse. You know, part of it's the opportunity for playing time. I, I will say, you know, that was more of an issue in the last few cycles. You had Tommy DeVito there who's kind of a presumptive starter. Well, quarterback recruits want to play, especially when you're going after, you know, guys with multiple power five offers. And, you know, now they can kind of offer that. Whoever you bring in, all right, you know, you're gonna sit and learn from Tommy for a year and and then you'll get a chance to compete for the job. So I, I think they were really in it with Riley Leonard. Um, he had some some really good options to go to, to not only good football schools but really good academic schools. He chose Duke and David Cutcliffe, who he had connections to quarterbacks, which who actually paid, played for Cutcliffe at Ole Miss. So I think that was part of it. But he also had an offer from Vanderbilt. You know, that's for, for uh, a kid from a small Alabama town to be considering those things. Uh, you know, there's no small thing from his perspective. So. Uh, I'll be interested to see who Sterling Gilbert and Dino Babers turn their attention to next. But, yeah, not being able to close the deal on a quarterback has been extremely problematic. I think it's a it's a valid concern. I think they know it. And, um, you know, it's going to be really important to Sago because they they need to figure out who it's going to be after Tommy DeVito. And, and frankly, having a reliable backup to Tommy DeVito is, is really important. You know, the only – you know, the only year Syracuse has really done well in, in since since when you know getting to that tenth season, they had two good quarterbacks and Eric Dungey and Tommy DeVito. So you know, you need a little bit of depth there, uh, especially when you're playing up tempo offense. So you know, we'll see what they're able to do for the rest of the cycle. I think they're 
assessing some targets. I know they have tried to kind of work quietly and, and put themselves in a place to to win recruiting battles. But you know, obviously, once you offer a kid, give a Power Five offer, it's it's on. Everyone sees it, and, and you go from there. So uh, they tried to do that with Riley Leonard. It didn't work, and I expect they'll pick another guy and then try and do it again. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball. Syracuse switched to a 3-3-5 defense in the offseason, and you're starting to see a different kind of recruit there landing. In the past, Syracuse has recruited smaller, quicker, kind of blitzing linebacker in the Scott Schaefer era. And in the Tampa 2 era, it was a smaller linebacker who could drop into coverage. That's not the case anymore. They picked up a couple linebacker commits, and they are big boys in the 6'4", 220-pound mold. That's a very different kind of commit they're going after. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, from a simple numbers perspective, you've got three down linemen. You need the three guys behind them to, to be able to, to hold up in the run game uh, versus the four down uh, front. So, so yeah, I think some of it comes naturally. And, and frankly, I think we're still learning. We're still learning what Tony White, the new defensive coordinator, wants and his recruits. And then obviously his first cycle here, he only got three practices in. I expect there'll be guys cross-training. Um, but I do agree, those two inside linebacker positions, they want bigger bodies. You look at the spring depth chart going in, Jeff Cantonarco and Tyrell Richards were listed as the first teams, the two biggest linebackers on the roster. And frankly, two guys, if you had asked me who I would have expected to be on the top line based on what happened last year, it would have been Mike Jones and maybe Lee Kobog. And Tyrell Richards isn't an unreasonable choice as an older guy. Um, but yeah, you know, size matters at those inside spots. Uh, the strong side linebacker position, I think, is a little different. I, I think they want someone who's a little twitchier, um, someone who can maybe shed a block but is also going to be a real weapon as a blitzer. Steve Linton was working there in the spring. I think that's what they wanted Kishon Bennett for. Uh, he committed to Michigan, I believe, two nights ago. Um, so, you know, I think that's, I think those inside linebacker positions, you want some bigger guys who can also run, uh, and they, they got those in, in Austin Rune and Lake Matthew, uh, as well as an outside linebacker for the strong side linebacker position who can hold up in the run game but can also be maybe a little bit twitchier and then a guy who can create a little bit more disruption behind the line of scrimmage. One of the offshoots of Syracuse moving the recruiting cycle up is that some of the guys they're bringing in don't have a lot of Power 5 offers. Some of the guys they've gotten to commit only have Group of 5 offers or even only FCS offers. How do you respond to a fan that's only looking at that offer list? You know, I generally don't respond to uh, to fans on Twitter who are <laughs> in the recruiting realm <laughs> because they don't really see reasonably. But, you know, an offer list I always view as just kind of a jumping off point, right? Almost same, same with recruiting rating. You know, I think it's better to get a barometer, especially when, like, if a guy is a bona fide offer list or is a four-star player. There's a reason he has that, which is because someone's is three stars or – or doesn't have a bunch of Power 5 offers, especially this early in a cycle, isn't necessarily indicative of how good of a player they are. But recruiting across the nation is happening faster this year than last year. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there's, I believe, at least a couple hundred more commitments as of the end of May this year compared to last year. So you're seeing everyone speed up because you don't have those opportunities to evaluate players. So schools, maybe, I think Syracuse is one of the first to really do it, but schools are saying, all right, like we need to go off of these guys. So, you know, a, a lot of those offer sheets, I think, for, for the guys Syracuse traditionally picks up, they expand over the summer as they go camp and you know, into the fall as they go get visits. Like, there's a reason the top-rated players that Syracuse get, gets usually come at the end of the cycle, 
it's because they've gone through the full recruiting process. They've, you know, they've checked out different schools, and, and you know, some schools have had more coaching staff. Uh, you know, they've gotten more exposure. They've gotten, you know, more opportunities to impress. So just because a guy commits early and doesn't go camp at a dozen schools, you know, that it's it, it's hard to to just pick and choose. You know what I mean? You can't take it as everything. Um, yeah, does Syracuse get under the radar guys? Absolutely. Like, there's a reason Syracuse is, is ranked where it doesn't is in team rankings between 50 and 60 every year. Like, no, they're not going out and winning battles. But it doesn't mean – that some of these guys would be takes at other Power Five schools later in the year. So, um, you know, I think the staff. I, I, I think this class will be an indictment of the staff's ability to evaluate because they weren't able to go out. They had film, and, and they could just do what they could do on their phone and behind a computer. You know, they were first Power Five offer for a lot of these guys, and, and you know that's not uncommon in some cycles. And this is again especially early, but. You know, how these guys pan out will be an indictment on, on Dino Babers and his staff's ability to evaluate because there's limited information this year. There's kind of a level playing field. You know, you're not having guys visits and being blown, visiting and being blown away by facilities or, um, you know, everyone everyone's behind the other side of a computer. You know, it's a, it's a little bit different. So I, I think we're really going to see how well these guys can evaluate. And, you know, yeah, so, so the offer sheets, I think they're explainable. I think Syracuse still is where it is in, in the hierarchy, but you can't just say, oh, this guy doesn't have any power five offense. He won't be good, it, especially this early in the year, given the camp situation. Steven, we'll get you out of here on this one. Who are some of the top targets on Syracuse's recruiting board right now? Yeah, it's a really good question, and it's, it's kind of interesting to try and follow a lot of this. Sometimes, you know, and, you know, you see everyone who they offer, but it's hard to always tell exactly who they're honing in on. I think there are a few names on the defensive side of the ball that are, that are pretty clearly priority targets. Uh, Deuce Chestnut, a defensive back from New Jersey, four-star guy, um, maybe the highest DB on their board, uh, probably one of Kareem Harden, uh, a two-way lineman from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I believe Nick Monroe's recruiting him. I think they'd probably play him at tackle. Most schools are looking uh, – at him on the offensive side of the ball. Syracuse doesn't have an offensive lineman committed to its class, so um, you know he would potentially be the first if they can get him. Uh, and then Jason Henderson, uh, a linebacker from Pennsylvania, and he's been told he's the top linebacker on their board. Uh, Syracuse has, again, taken two linebackers already in Austin Rune and Malik Matthew. And I, talking with Austin, he said he was told you know they were only going to take two or three guys, and I think initially – two or three linebackers a cycle, I should say. I think initially that number was one to two, but Juan Wallace and Kadeem Trotter have both entered the transfer portal. So I think that number has bumped up to three. Again, you know, we'll kind of see all those situations are fluid with, when there's attrition to a roster. But, um, you know, those are three guys I'm watching, and I'm, I'm, I'm keeping kind of close tabs on who Syracuse is going to turn to at quarterback next. The coaching staff has followed a couple guys. No offers have publicly been put out. Um, you know, most of the most of the quarterbacks have offered already. I want to say ten or eleven of the fifteen have committed elsewhere. So I, I think you're going to see a new name or two pop up at quarterback coming soon. And uh, you know, I think Syracuse, who, when they decide who they want, and, and maybe they already have, and it's been kept quiet, they're going to they're going to push their chips in and, and try and get an early commitment. They have not been able to do that since Tommy DeVito, as you said. And I think it would go a long way towards solidifying. Um, this class and, and trying to build on it as the cycle continues. 
Stephen, thank you so much for coming back on the program. Again, our great friend Stephen Bailey from Syracuse.com doing an amazing job covering Syracuse football. Stephen, continue to stay safe during this time. We'll speak with you soon. Yeah, you too, Wes. Thanks for having me on. Great stuff from Stephen Bailey. Always a pleasure to have him on the show. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, we're still in a time period where we're not sure if there's even going to be a college football season in the fall, but Syracuse took a big step toward that last week, announcing that students were going to be back on campus in an accelerated timeline this fall. You wrote about it in your Orange Watch last week. It's a huge first step for the possibility of a college football season. There's been a couple of big announcements over the last couple of weeks, and you alluded to the first from Syracuse Chancellor Ken Severud West that students will indeed be uh, coming back to campus. But, you know, I still didn't get a firm 100% feeling about that announcement. I, I understand the intent and I understand the direction, but for some reason I, I really didn't get a, a real feel-good feel about that, that indeed this is going to happen as everyone expects. But it's certainly good news that that's the intent that's been announced and plans are now in place to have students back on campus, uh, to, to live on campus in residence halls and uh, off-campus housing and take instruction in, in university buildings. Then the second big news I thought in the last couple of weeks coming from Athletic Director John Wildback in that he expects if there are fans, if there are games, and if there are, you know, is there competition in the new renovated Carrier Dome, they'll be drastically reduced attendance. So, those two items have really stood out at me. And as you now kind of backtrack and look at the dates in play here, well, everyone's talked about the need for six weeks before you could start a season. And right now we know Syracuse is scheduled September 4th at Boston College. So just doing the math behind that, you have to be starting practice by Friday, July 24th. Now that's five weeks from this coming Friday, Wes. And I ask you, you know, is that realistic? I think it's still a big question mark if it's realistic. Can they get these athletes back on campus? Can they get them in some sort of conditioning program before July 24th? And then is six weeks enough time to get ready for a season opener? What am I saying? A lot of questions here. So, you know, there's just so many different scenarios still going to be at play, but what we know now, those are firm dates and, that's five weeks away, and, and it really makes me wonder. Brad, there are a couple different scenarios that are in play here. You have one where, as you just mentioned, the season starts September 4 at Boston College, and everything goes on like normal. There's a possibility that they delay everything because of the reasons you just stated. You play conference games only in an abbreviated eight- to nine-game season, or they postpone it, and college football season doesn't happen until 2021. What do you think is going to happen? I think it's coming down to the latter two you mentioned, either a partial season or no season. So diving into number one, a partial season. I I think at this point, that's what everybody in college football is going to try to accomplish. And so I think with that being the goal, having at least some sort of conference schedule completed, worry about maybe one non-conference game or maybe try to schedule a, a, a game so teams could play one game before their conference begins. But with that as a a scenario I think everyone's trying to shoot for in the sport, 
That, to me, means it's going to be delayed, number one. It's not going to start on September 4th. And they're going to have to shuffle around a lot of dates. Uh, if they still want to have Syracuse open with BC or still have Syracuse face BC as its first ACC game, then they're going to have to do a lot of shuffling with BC and those other team schedules. What what I think is going to happen with these non-conference games in that scenario, I think they're just going to get moved down the road into future years to honor those contracts. I mean, Syracuse doesn't want to not play at Western Michigan and give them a, a nice home gate attendance you know, possibility, but they're not going to certainly you know, look to do that as a priority in 2020. So maybe when there's future dates down the road. I could see still that Rutgers game, but maybe it's moved later in September. Uh, because it's against a Power Five conference, the TV money at stake with the Big Ten Network. But I really think they're going to shoot for a partial season and, and try to reschedule as they need to between the conference teams because it will be each conference in control of that, as opposed to the other scenario of having no season at all. That being said, Wes, if there is another outbreak, of COVID-19 in the fall, or if players start to get infected or others associated with these programs do get infected, well, then I certainly think we could see an abrupt end to the season and it would not continue. Brad, we're running at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. I've asked this to a lot of people that follow college sports and especially people that follow men's division one lacrosse. You name me another program that's been in existence in college sports over a century, has had only four head coaches. Each of those head coaches is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's the story, the incredible story of Syracuse lacrosse. When the administration at Syracuse can say, you coach men's lacrosse at our school, you'll be in the Hall of Fame, wow. I mean, there's nothing more powerful when you're doing recruiting. And as long as John Desco and Congratulations to him as the latest inductee in Syracuse's uh, little wing, if you will, in the Hall of Fame in suburban Baltimore. Uh, congratulations to Coach Desco. And when you can go now as he finishes his career into recruits' homes and say, you're going to play for me, a Hall of Fame coach, well, Jim Beheim certainly see the benefit of that since he went into the Hall of Fame in 2005. And you're going to see the benefit for John Desco and already – in this offseason, there have been transfers coming into the program, and it's really going to be the story of the rich get richer for Syracuse lacrosse under the guidance of new Hall of Famer. And congratulations again to John Desco. Brad, my closing thoughts are on Bayheim's Army and the TBT. The TBT announced last week a plan to go forward with a 2020 tournament. There will be 24 teams playing over the course of 10 days in a fully quarantined location for the $2 million prize. Bayheim's Army announced in May that John Gillen, Brandon Trish, and Demetrius Nichols are joining a roster that already included Malachi Richardson, Eric Devendorf, and Tyler Lydon. Sports is such an important part of returning to normalcy in this post-COVID world, and I, for one, can't wait to watch Bayheim's Army play. That's it for us for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that bowling would be a lot more interesting if it were slightly uphill. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network.